appropriate song for me to hear at this stage. <laughs> at this stage of life and ministry. See, that didn't take long. It's better to get the tears out of the way early than in the middle. Because you could always count on Pastor Bill to do that. For those of you that might be here for the first Sunday, I am Pastor Bill, and I've been a pastor here for five years, five glorious years, five of my best years, I would say the best years in almost 30 years of ordained ministry and over 30 years of ministry. It's been a beautiful time with all of you. And it's also been, it's been a delight these last few weeks, and it's also been sad um, so many of you have come up and hugged me and Jenny and said how much you'll miss us and sent texts and emails and phone calls and just wonderful different signs of your love for us. And we will never, ever forget that. In fact, the good news is, and I'm so glad to hear this, Chapel Hill is and I believe always will be our home church. And in fact, we are living here in Gig Harbor, and we will continue to live in Gig Harbor. So it's not like you're never going to see us again, which I am so glad about. But I'd like to just share a few things with you this morning. This has actually been one of the hardest messages for me to preach, even harder than the first message when Mark assigned for me the sex passage. (laughs) God bless him. I think that's his, you know, introduction for all new pastors or something. I'm not sure. <clears throat> but my transition here at Chapel Hill is a little bit different than some other transitions of other pastors because we put great stock in training and raising up leaders and then sending them out into God's kingdom to do his work. And we have a sense of gladness about that. There's a sense of comfort that we know where people are going. Uh, There is a joy in the fact that you all have taken a part in their training and they're growing up and they're sending out. And there's, there's a joy in knowing where they're going. But Pastor Bill's call or next place, season of ministry, is a little bit unknown, a little bit yet to be determined. And uh, I wanted to share with you here a little bit this morning. I thought it would be helpful. Um, I don't always do this, but I, I feel like this morning it would be helpful to give you a better sense of my call to ministry because I think it will give you uh, understanding as to why we're making these next steps, why I've chosen to step down from Chapel Hill because God has something else in store. Uh, when I was a college student, my, my junior year in college, I was part of a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Many of you know of InterVarsity. Maybe you were part of it as students. It's influenced many lives, thousands of lives. I've been to Urbana twice. Um, but 
it was, it was on, a, on a fateful day in uh, San Francisco at Simpson College, when it used to be in San Francisco, there was a man by the name of John Perkins who came and spoke to a group of probably 200 uh, all-white college students. Uh, John Perkins, maybe some of you have heard of, was the founder of Voice of Calvary Ministries. Uh, he's a black man who suffered under the hands of the Montgomery police back in the riot demonstrations of the 60s. He was almost beaten to death. Um, And uh, when John found Christ and uh, forgave uh, people that had hurt him, when God gave him the grace and the ability to forgive people, um, God set him out on an amazing uh, ministry of reconciliation between races. And I've heard him at a number of different churches throughout the course of the year. And when I was listening to John my junior year, and when he said to us, this group of all-white college students, and he said to us, who's going to go into the inner city if Christians who know the love of God won't go into the inner city? Who will do that? And I sensed a call from the Lord at that time. I thought initially for the first few years God was sending Jenny and I into urban ministry, inner city ministry, and as students at Fuller, we tried on a number of different uh, ministries in downtown Los Angeles. It was uh, some great experiences. But um, over time, I realized that God was not calling me specifically to a place but he was calling me more to serve in those dark places of the human heart. And water required here. And that ministry had to start with me. Because despite all the training and all the years in church from the time I was 16, never before 16, but by the time I was 16 and on, um, there was a lot that was foundation that was laid in my life that needed to be remade in Christ. The ministry of healing had to begin with me. Um, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, alcoholics, ACOA, ACA, uh, And um, I have kind of a unique story in that my parents both passed away from their addictions by the time I was 30. And while that's sad and heartbreaking at one level, it really has been the the, the basis of my foundation in ministry. Because God has used that hard experience to make me into the person that I am today and to pursue the kinds of callings and the kinds of positions that God has laid on my heart to do. God used Celebrate Recovery almost 20 years ago in my life to begin to reshape my inner person, to be able to, to begin to reform my person, beginning with forgiveness of a lot of anger and a lot of hurts and a lot of resentments. Uh, And through that emotional healing, he began to do a deeper work of the Holy Spirit in me. And so this morning, what I would like to do, kind of as that as a context and some understanding of who I am, I'm going to share a passage that might be kind of surprising to you if you didn't know the the context, but it it fits the context. And it's one of my uh, favorite passages, actually, 
in Scripture, and it's one of our foundational passages in Celebrate Recovery. And it's 2 Corinthians 12. I'm starting in verse 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Paul's words. They've meant so much to me and to millions of your people over the years that in our weakness, you are strong. Give us fresh new insight into this today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The Apostle Paul on the second missionary journey received a vision from the Lord. Sometimes visions are are very very brief and and, and, uh, uh, indefinite. Uh, This particular vision uh, was, come and help us, were the words that Paul heard. And it was to come and help us in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Paul spent almost two years establishing a church in Corinth. And Corinth was a robust uh, and wealthy metropolis in Paul's day. In fact, it was the third most significant city in all of the Roman Empire, only behind Rome itself and Alexandria in Africa. It was a cauldron of paganism, boasting 12 temples, including the famous temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, that employed a thousand temple prostitutes. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that in Paul's very first letter to the Corinthians, he addresses the issue of sexual immorality, one of several weighty topics that needed to be discussed with the Corinthian church. Paul also had a number of detractors in Corinth, Jews that he called false apostles who maligned his character and his apostleship. In 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses these issues, but he chooses not to boast about things that he could boast about. He could boast about his sufferings in Jesus, which he does talk about in 2 Corinthians. He could boast about Uh, His pedigree as a Hebrew of Hebrew, because that's what his adversaries were boasting of themselves as Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul could boast even more about this. Paul could also boast about the fact that he had unbelievable spiritual revelations of heaven, which he talks a little bit about uh, this to us in this chapter, and we, we don't fully understand it. He doesn't give a lot of description, but we know that he's had these unbelievable spiritual experiences. He could have boasted about that, but he said, no, I'm not going to boast about any of these things. I'm going to boast instead about my weaknesses so that God's power may rest on me. Paul says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, 
A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul pleaded with the Lord for him to take away this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what Paul's thorn is. It's a good thing we don't know what Paul's thorn is, because if we knew what Paul's thorn was, I'm sure that we would absolutely be captivated and captured by that thorn, rather than the whole point of Paul talking about this thorn, which is to put more dependency on God. It obviously bothered him a lot. It impacted his ministry in some ways. He prayed over and over again, and God seemed to be silent. How many of us have ever had that experience before? When we've ever had something in our life that was really bothering us, and we prayed to God again and again, and nothing seemed to happen. Heaven seemed to be silent. And that was Paul's case. And then, after praying over and over again about this thorn, God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. God didn't remove Paul's thorn. Instead, he declared that his grace would be enough for Paul in the midst of his suffering. His weakness would be the platform for manifesting God's marvelous power. One of the indelible memories for me here at Chapel Hill will be 8.45 on Sunday morning when Pastor Mark kneels before the elders and they lay hands on him and they pray for him. They pray for God's power to rest on him in spite of his weakness. There's something absolutely fundamental in the Christian life about coming before God and acknowledging our need, our weakness, and our absolute dependency on him for healing, for deliverance, for comfort, or for just plain old peace, his perfect peace, in the midst of stressful, hard times. I love Paul, and I love the words that follow God speaking to Paul when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I can just hear Paul saying, therefore I will boast all the more of my weaknesses, so that God's power may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So this week, as I read those words again, those words that I've read many, many times through the years in ministry, I was prompted to ask myself a couple of questions. The first one is, do I believe that God's grace is truly sufficient. Is his grace enough to help me cope with all of my weaknesses and my hardships and the trials that I go through in life? Did you know that my most cherished moments as a pastor here at Chapel Hill have been Those times when you've allowed me to walk with you when you've needed God's grace in a powerful way. Times when you lost someone, 
times when you experience a life-threatening illness, times when you've waited for a serious surgery, times when you found your true soulmate after a devastating breakup, times when you lost a job or were desperately seeking work, times when you were seeking God's power to restore your marriage. These are times that I will always remember. They are the, what I call the golden moments for God's power to shine. When we, we experience the reality of his love and his presence through his grace. In Celebrate Recovery, we talk a lot about God's grace particularly as it relates to forgiveness. The work of forgiveness requires a lot of grace, power that we often do not have in and of ourselves. The sixth principle in Celebrate Recovery says, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm that I've done to others. People in Celebrate Recovery, like people who aren't in Celebrate Recovery, often have experienced deep wounding, and they find it difficult to forgive those who have hurt them. Celebrate Recovery provides a process where people can walk through a season of healing with a few trusted companions and surrender their hurts into the Lord's hands to receive His grace to forgive other people. And that act of forgiveness then frees people from the behaviors and the attitudes that impede their ability to love God and to love others with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another question that this text raises for me is, can I be content with my weaknesses? Paul says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with my weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions. You know, much of my life, I've tried to hide my weaknesses. I've been afraid that if people really knew me, they wouldn't accept me. And I suspect that some of you have felt that way before. I think that what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians is really important for us to know and to practice And that is that God's transforming power is manifest when God's people become transparent, sharing their weaknesses with another trusted human being and praying for the power to heal and forgive. I love the way James says it so succinctly in James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. We heard a marvelous sermon at General Assembly from this passage in James. And that, it was, that, that verse was just right in the midst of the passage. And it was kind of like, kind of blown over as though it didn't exist. It's like the great passage in the Bible no one wants to recognize. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you'll be healed. It's okay to confess them to God. We feel good about that. But we don't want to share them with other people. 
goodness gracious, we wouldn't want them to know we struggle. And yet there's James just saying this. Jennifer and I have thoroughly enjoyed our season of ministry here at Chapel Hill. In my blog, I said it was a time of convergence of our life experiences, our own hardships, our gifts, our abilities, um, our temperament, and they've all come to bear, I think, in a place and a time here at Chapel Hill in a beautiful way, in a way that's been unlike any other place we've ever done ministry. We have also, at this time, since God's timing for us to step aside from Celebrate Recovery leadership and allow others to step into their place of leadership because God has transformed their lives and they need to lead. They need to tell other people about the profound transformation that's happened in their lives through God's power and His grace in their weakness. Jenny and I look forward to a time of refreshment, a time to recharge our spiritual batteries, to discern God's next steps for us. It may involve interim ministry, like some of our former pastors here, Stuart Bond or Sherry Monson, the ministry that they're doing. Or it may involve some more ministry with Celebrate Recovery in some way. I'd ask for your prayers because I've been asked to meet with John Baker, who's the founder of Celebrate Recovery at the summit this year, and to share a bit of not just my story, but our story here at Chapel Hill and how God is normalizing Celebrate Recovery for the whole body of Christ. So people don't think it's just for people with addictions, but it's people who have hurts. Everyone has hurts, habits, or hang-ups, and they need help with that. I believe God wants to proliferate Celebrate Recoveries around the country and around the world because the body of Christ needs it. Three days after we had decided to step down from Chapel Hill, um, I was having a quiet time with the Lord, and an idea came to mind. The idea was, what would it be like to give some time, maybe a year or something, to travel around to presbyteries in our denomination and speak to them about Celebrate Recovery? I mean, most people have heard us about Celebrate Recovery. It's not just about speaking about Celebrate Recovery, but it's also I want to encourage them that they really strongly need to start a Celebrate Recovery in their church. And I actually have two really very good reasons for them to do that. And one is there are people in their pastor, in their congregations, pastors and elders, who will never come up to you and say, please start a Celebrate Recovery. Because they're too broken, they don't have the courage, they won't say it most, most of the time, but they need it. And so pastors, you need to do it for the people, the unspoken voices in your congregation and in your community who need a celebrate recovery. And the other reason that you need to start one is that I believe that God is going to do a major revival in our land. There are millions of Christians who have prayed for this next generation to receive Christ into their lives. We know that millions, millions have walked away from their faith or never been part of a church. And when God's Spirit begins to move in this generation, where are they going to go? I really think God is going to send them to healthy, loving churches 
where they can find the Lord and grow in their walk with the Lord, and also where they can find freedom in Christ through grace, through Christ-centered 12-step recovery ministries. So I'd ask you to pray for me. God is growing a vision in my heart, but I'm not sure where it's going to lead. Pray that he'll open some doors that he wants me to go through. As I close, I want to thank Pastor Mark and the elders here at Chapel Hill for their vision and their courage over the last 20 years to start a renewal ministry and renewal work, lay counseling, celebrate recovery, and all the ministries that are associated with that. These ministries cannot flourish in a church without the support of a senior pastor and with elders who think it is fundamentally vital for churches to have this. So thank you, Pastor Mark. And just for your information, I've, I've Googled online and looked for EPC churches that have Celebrate Recovery, and I've only found two or three out of 700 churches. I'm sure there are more. They're just not obvious. I also want to express my deep gratitude to my wife, Jennifer, who's been a faithful partner with me in ministry for over 30 years. She's been a quiet behind-the-scenes servant of the Lord and also a powerful instrument of healing for women in Celebrate Recovery. Well, thank you, sweetheart. For the next few months, Jen and I are going to be traveling and chilling. We'll be around Gig Harbor, but you won't see us at Chapel Hill much. Uh, It's important for us to lie low for a season to allow uh, others in leadership, especially in Celebrate Recovery, to step in and uh, get their sea legs and, and move, move forward in ministry. Lastly, I want to thank you, Chapel Hill. You are a sweetheart church. Best church that we've ever been to and served. You've loved and embraced Jenny and me, and we are happy, ha- happier and healthier because of it. We love you very much and look forward to a future together. God bless you. Thank you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. Thank you for Jesus who went to the cross, Lord, because of our weakness, our brokenness and sin. Thank you, Lord, that you provide healing for us through Christ's death on the cross and through the the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives here and now. And Lord, I ask that you would bless the ministry here at Chapel Hill and it would continue to grow and expand and be fruitful that places miles, thousands of miles away will thank you, Lord, for the ministry of Chapel Hill. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Six years ago when we began to look for Bill, we didn't know if there was a Bill out there. Uh, And we didn't really know what we needed. In fact, we didn't know what a gift Bill and Jen were to us until they came. And we discovered that the the great need that we had for uh, a new, a fresh sense of leadership, of integrity, of um, 
of humor, of connection, and really of pastoring that Bill brought to us in a very unique and special way. What we didn't also realize was how precious was the marriage that he brought to us. Because when he brought Jen, quiet though she might be, she was a powerhouse of prayer and support and championship of her husband and of the ministry of CR and of this entire congregation. Uh, she has been uh, equally uh, valuable and precious to us, and, and so I, I want to a- acknowledge that. Um, I'm going to invite them up in just a moment to uh, have a, a time of prayer. I want to remind you that following this service, we're going to have a congregational meeting in which we agree with the session and with Bill's request to seek the dissolution of his call. It will be very short, but it's necessary. And then after the second service at noon, we're going to have a, a reception in which we're going to honor Bill and Jen more adequately, and we invite you to come back. Uh, This has been a sweet five years. It's been a little shorter than we might have imagined, but we have been blessed uh, immeasurably. And I want you to uh, say thank you one more time to Bill and Jen as they come forward. Please. Jen, I've set aside about 15 minutes for you to talk. <laughs> uh, we have loved you. We have loved being your friends. We've loved being pastored by you, and uh, we wish you God's very best. Would you extend a hand to your brother and sister now, and we're going to ask God's uh, favor. Lord, uh, these relationships are very precious to us, these friendships uh, in which you, uh, by your Spirit, do great work uh, in our body and beyond. There's been a beyond these walls since to uh, Bill and Jen's ministry since they came as we've reached out beyond the membership of this congregation into a community and said, anyone who would come, we are here for you. That has been a precious thing, a a precursor to our Beyond These Walls initiative. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And now as we move in a new way beyond these walls with the sending of Bill and Jen to a future that is a little bit hazy, We ask that your spirit would be at work just as surely as he was when he brought them here in the first place. Make clear their paths. Make clear their plans. Make clear the steps that they will take in the weeks and months and years to come as you continue the good work that you have begun in them. We pray particularly for the peace that they require. Thirty years without a Sabbath, that's too long. And so may these coming months of just restoration and enjoying one another and life without the pressure of ministry, may that be truly restorative uh, for both of them. Lord, we love them. We are so grateful for them. We're glad that they're going to continue to be a part of this congregation. And we pray your richest blessing upon them now. Through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bill's going to give the benediction in just a moment, but I remind you again, congregation, if you would stay just briefly for a congregational meeting, and then we will be dismissed. Pastor Bill, one more time. Well, let's stand up. Filling of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to, to you. May you lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.